0: lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies for my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try it at home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You Ready? Hello everyone. This one's going to be short and sweet. Always <laughs> like cuz I'm talking about parts of the brain and I don't want to bore you all, but I'm trying to make it juicy. <laughs> all right, today we're talking about the brain's memory storage command center and if nothing else, the name of it's really fun. So what is it? Well, have you ever wondered why a particular scent triggers something that may have happened a while back or maybe it's a certain food or maybe it's a certain site well that is the hippocampus in play aka the memory storage command center (laughs) and mankind has known about this guy for centuries and it's probably one of the most studied parts of the brain but here's some fun facts about the history of the hippocampus. The name originated from the Greek word hippo, which means horse and campo, which means monster because it's shaped like a seahorse. So it's a horse monster. <laughs> Hopefully that helps you to remember it, but think about this guy. Uh, last episode, we talked about the amygdala. So you didn't listen to that. Definitely go back and listen to that. We talked about how the amygdala, amygdalae are in the limbic area, the limbic area being that barking dog area of your emotional brain. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the episode with the Dan Siegel hand signal. But in this barking dog part of the brain, probably what I feel is one of the most important parts of the emotional brain and talking about the pieces that make up that part of the brain, I think are super important when we're talking about emotional regulation. And schools in particular. And today this one's going to relate a little more to schools, but also just to kids listening and following directions. So hippocampus, the hippocampus also lives in the limbic area or in the barking dog area of the brain. And the amygdala, amygdala, are kind of in in the front part of that-ish. They're all in the central part of the brain, but front and then kind of behind it is the hippocampus or there too. So hippocampi. And they are kind of like seahorse shaped, (laughs) but this guy is responsible for memory. So let's talk about memories that this particular part of the brain might store. So your spatial memory, which kind of records the details of your surroundings or environment. Um, It's that kind of rear part where the short-term memory is stored to be sent to long-term memory. So as a result, these new nerve cells continue to be generated throughout adulthood. So if you don't know this, your brain generates new cells for those things that we all started with a certain number of cells. And as they die off, we lose them, we get older, we just, we go brain dead. It's not true. We regenerate, especially if we eat well and exercise and practice meditation and mindfulness, more cells grow. But anyhow, back to spatial memory. So these are like some of your episodic memories, your narrative memories, things like that. And that's where, like I referenced earlier about the scent or the, you know, the seeing of the thing triggers a memory. That's, that's where this comes into play. And then we also have the more like factual events, events, memory system as well. So, you know, like that stuff we learned in school, like a lot of just rote memorization that also lives in the hippocampus. So kind of like two, kind of like a Lower level and higher level part of of memory, and then the fun thing about hippocampus is while we sleep, hippocampus is at work consolidating all those memories. So if our sleep is disrupted, then memories are not stored as well. And (laughs) there's like this. I don't want to go too sciency, but cerebral spinal fluid washes throughout your brain while you're sleeping. And it, it has to occur over, I believe three REM cycles. So three 90 minute cycles and the whole process has to occur for like us to wake up memories consolidated gunk out of the brain, like refreshed, ready to go. So if we're not getting at least the you know, three REM cycles, really like seven and a half hours of sleep, this, this process of memory, memory consolidation and mind clearing and feeling good and rested is is harder to achieve. And those that think that you are a special human who can function on five hours, six hours of sleep, and you just don't need that much sleep, quite like you're foolable. <laughs> like you may have, you your, your body builds up stability and you may think that you can function. You may be able to function because you, you have convinced your mind that you are okay. And seemingly like the way you feel does feel okay, but the, these processes can't happen in a significantly shorter amount of time. So you're just missing a whole web cycle. You're missing a whole memory storage. You're missing a whole, um, like gunk clearing part. So like you're one third less, (laughs) um, equipped to handle the, the day. Versus everyone else. Again, when you can build stamina that kind of like overrides these these functions, but it doesn't mean that the systems still happen and occur the same way because you're missing missing that time that it needs. So, just something to think about. <laughs> Love arguing science with people. Anywho, <laughs> I want to talk about this specifically because there's so much stress in the world right now, and long-term exposure to stress leads to more deterioration of the hippocampus. So people suffering from trauma, from PTSD, they typically have smaller (laughs) hippocampal volume. (laughs) Their hippocampus is smaller compared to others. And the more that you get that sleep and the less stress you have, the more the hippocampus grows, the more memories it can store, the easier it is for you to pull, pull the memories from storage. And maybe one episode in the future, I'll talk about like what all the systems of the brain are that have to be like hit and activated for memories to be stored. Cause it's a pretty interesting process. It's not just like, all right, it's in your thinking brain and you send it to storage and it's there. It has to like hit all these different areas. And the problem with, PTSD, trauma exposure, chronic stress, long-term stress, is that these systems slow down. And then as it the, the new memories or the you know reinforced memories go through all these systems in the brain and try and get to storage, they get disrupted because all those systems are kind of faulty or not working as well. So that is why everything that I teach is so incredibly important. Because you want to strengthen the hippocampus. We want to improve the memory system. We want to shrink the amygdala. We want to strengthen the thinking brain. And and all these things are possible, even if they're all delayed or underdeveloped, it's possible to, to generate new cells and grow these things. For our kiddos, the longer a child is exposed to abusive environment, the more damage their hippocampus takes and their ability to learn is significantly significantly reduced. So why aren't schools focusing on this need first? Oh, I'm working on it, I'm trying to get them to understand that it doesn't matter how you teach or what you do to change the way you teach though it does have some impact. You've got to focus on the emotional brain and getting emotional states in the right order and getting the learning system memory system primed and prepped and ready to be able to store that information. Um, I mean, there are certainly things that will help. So think about the hippocampus is so close to the amygdala. So when you elicit strong responses, memories from kids, they're more likely to remember something, which is why, you know, a lot of like movement-based learning activities work because their bodies are active, or if it's something that's like really fun and they're laughing, or if it's something that they can really connect to, or they're motivated by, they had exposure to, It's why they store the memory better. Because Emotion has been elicited from that moment when it's just that rote memorization, or you know, our energy is low when we're teaching it, it's harder to store because kids just aren't activated by it. So, elicit strong emotions, and you get better memory storage, but uh. That's not always a good thing. Actually, I've had many conversations with psychologists, mostly one particular with a social psychologist. And he was doing a lot, I think he's working on a book about fear. And it's, it's fascinating because, really, because our bodies are so concerned, our brains are so concerned with safety. What actually sometimes helps store memories the best is when we lose fear because everything's like activated and alert. And, you know, the body needs to like store these memories to keep us safe. But That is not ethical in education, nor should it be, Um, because as much as that might um, provoke strong emotion and memories to be stored, it has a lot of other detrimental aspects to it. So we can, on the flip side, um, provoke joy and motivation and excitement, and memories will be strongly stored as well. All right. That's all I'm going to say about the hippocampus because we're getting a little sciency here. I don't want to lose you. (laughs) I'm trying to keep these sciency episodes short. So let's go to today's listener question, which is how to understand where behavior is coming from, because so many people are so interested in just stopping the behavior and these behaviors happen for quote unquote, no reason. Well, let me tell you something. All behaviors communicate something whether they are from adults, children, babies. There's a need. There's always a need that drives the behavior. What is the need? Figure out the need. What what is it that's not getting met, which needs not getting met, and then meet that need, put something in place to meet the need, and the behavior diminishes. There's a whole series of podcasts. There's a whole there's a, a whole pub, blog uh, post on the five needs areas and how we can take behaviors and categorize them into the five needs areas. And once we can figure out what the need areas are, we get the needs met by coming up with strategies to meet those needs and behavior stop. So let's say here, for example, here's a really good example. A lot of kids raised in traumatic environments, end up in foster care, usually have attachment, attention, relationship needs. These kids had disrupted attachments, potentially not all of them. And because of that, some of them end up in school systems um, or even home systems, foster care systems, where they are negatively acting out for attention. They're constantly seeking attention because they are trying to make up for the lack of attention and relationship and attachment they had early in life. And in a lot of ways, they're probably stuck in that period of time where they didn't get that need met and they need to go back. get a need met. So they're, they're just like kind of recreating it now in the present, the future, trying to constantly get the need met, get attention, 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 to try and, you know, fill that void. So what's interesting is that I've heard so many people say, well, when a child's negatively attention seeking, then we just need to plan to ignore, we need to plan to ignore them and the behavior will stop wrong, depending on situation, because if it's a child who has a, a deficit in this need area, And they have disrupted attachment relationship bonds, ignoring them intentionally is just furthering the trauma. And that doesn't go for every child because not every child has that type of traumatic background, but I would say this, we do want to give them attention. Maybe not exactly in that moment, but we need to be keenly aware of this is an act for attention. And that's not a bad thing. It's just giving me information and the information is this child needs to build relationships and attachments. So right before a child starts to negatively attention seek, like if it's always at the same time of day, I'm going to go find that child. I'm going to give them some direct undivided attention for just a couple of minutes. I call it a check and connect uh, one, two, three minutes and give them my full attention and then transition into that activity. And then usually they won't be seeking my attention during that activity because I've already filled up their bucket. I've already filled the void. I've already met the need. If it's sporadically happening and you don't know when during the day it's going to show up, then maybe try and put your phone, a reminder, like, Hey, check and connect one minute, three minutes, like three times a day to try and intentionally just give little moments of attention again, to fill that need. So there's not so much negative attention seeking because they don't need you to sit there with them the whole day. (laughs) They only need a couple minutes at a time. And, you know, if you listen to my last episode, my, my, try to home tip was spend nine minutes of undivided attention with a chat a day. It's all they really need. So if you can give little doses of undivided attention, uh, before the need starts to crop up and the behavior starts to crop up, the, the need will stop showing up. So give that a shot. Okay. Here's your try to home tip <laughs> ways to neutralize your nervous system. Saunas saunas are one of my favorite ways to just Zen and chill out and calm down my nervous system. And the beauty is that there are so many different types of saunas. There are like wood fire saunas. There are infrared saunas. There are steam saunas. I mean, it's, it's kind of awesome how many are available and there are even like natural hot springs around the the world, but easily in the United States. I mean, (laughs) you would be surprised if you searched like sauna or Turkish bath house or bath house, um, what is available around you? I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania today. Anyhow, and I know there's one in Philadelphia and, um, I spent some time in Joshua tree area and I know that there's desert hot Springs and my trek across the country. When I took a road trip across the country, uh, Arkansas hot Springs, Arkansas is a national park that has these bath houses, not inside the national park, right outside of it. Um, that are all sauna. So, so it's like a double whammy because one that heat exposure, and then preferably like a cold dip afterwards will help to neutralize your nervous system, kind of reset it. But also in, in those moments, like you can't like take your phone in the sauna, I guess you could, if you really wanted to, I would would suggest that you not, but you're in there and you're just being, you're not doing, you're not learning. Well, you might be learning a little bit about sauna, but (laughs) you're just mindfulness, like just presence. And that helps to give your, your body and your brain a rest. So super important. Okay. That's it for today's episode of returning to us podcasts. Remember our try to home tip, which is try a sauna or a bathhouse or a natural hot spring. And if you have any burning questions for me to answer on a future show, shoot me an email podcast at the or text me three7744 And the best way to remember all that you learned today in this episode is to apply it right away. Tell someone else, teach someone else. Let me know what the biggest takeaway was in the comments below. And until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thank you for joining me.